Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following is the third of the Ask Me Anything podcast. These are taken from emails that have been sent in. The first one is from Mary. In your interview with Stephen Jenkinson, he talked about our denial of accepting the knowledge of our eventual death. We think we know it in our minds, but we avoid letting it into our hearts. Most of us are shocked when it is close. I know that my fear of dying is at the root of all my fears. For as long as I can remember, I have felt this ongoing emotional pain that rises and falls at different times in my life, but is always there. I have always thought it was the residue of my painful childhood. After listening to your conversation with Stephen, I started questioning that sad feeling and thought, perhaps we are in fact born knowing we will die, and therefore we spend our whole lives striving and accumulating to avoid the pain that knowledge brings. And yes, I think you heard him right, Mary. That sad feeling, I propose it's just a part of the the brave recognition of death. That comes with it. Now, a lot of people live in denial. There's the famous Ernst Becker book, The Denial of Death, for which he won the Pulitzer Prize in 1973, I think. And in it, he proposes that people clutch to certain types of life projects in an attempt to ward off the awareness of death. So one of those is self-esteem, propping oneself up to the world. And the other is through culture or through tribal engagement. There's a professor named Sheldon Solomon with whom I did an interview. He and his colleagues have spent 30 years basing their experiments on Ernst Becker's work in in these two streams of focus that people have to ward off, to, to desensitize themselves from the thoughts of death. And he and his colleagues wrote a book called The Worm at the Core, meaning death being the worm, like the worm at the core of the apple, and that it's something we live with. Anyway, I did an interview with him. It's on one of my podcasts that you can find. It's Sheldon Solomon. In these two ways, self-esteem and culture or tribe or religion, give one sense of an extension of oneself into time. One extends the sense of self further into time. But it doesn't always work. The reality keeps peering through as one goes along losing loved ones, seeing death all around. Now, it's Stephen Jenkins's position, and I agree, that this is actually a healthy recognition because it gives, it gives an exuberance or at least a, a sparkle to life due to its impermanence. It is precious because of its impermanence. That's part of its beauty. If one's experience of beauty or love or mercy or creativity was assumed to be indefinite, it would not have the same value. It would not be as precious. (laughs) It might become quite tedious, in fact. 
maybe not love, but many of the other things that we take to be our exalted experiences in life, whether it's climbing mountains or starting a company or writing or whatever it is, you know, going to various engagements, people's weekly wine bar hangout, whatever it happens to be, it might get tiring. I've heard this from a lot of older people, that they're ready to go, that they don't want any more experience. That seems to be a lucky place. One has to usually live quite a long time to get there. Now, your point about this lifelong sadness to which you attributed your painful childhood, it might be that you also have sadness embedded due to a painful childhood, naturally, and that the awareness of death is an added bonus in that. But look, it's very possible to live, as Carlos Castaneda said, with death over one's left shoulder, kind of like an ally, he said, live it, have it as an ally, to not take for granted, not waste your mind moments on mental nonsense. A lot of times people think they're wasting time because they're not producing something. That may not be, in fact, wasting time. What might be more in the category of wasting time is a lot of mental, negative mental gyrations that are just habits that run through your day, just negative interpretations, negative memories, worries about the future, some of which we can't help they arise. But if that is your primary indulgence and focus in life, for many people that is true, they tend to be on a negative mind script, that might be more in the category of wasting time, not that anybody's going to grade you, it's just for, for yourself, that there is a way to move your attention around and just really focus much more on the little joys, the little moments of brightness, little tiny gratitudes through the day. doesn't have to be big at all. In fact, the littler the better because they're way more easily accessible. And to really start to train the awareness just direct the awareness and let death hang out in that awareness as well. It's welcome. You know, it has to be. It has to be welcome or else you're just in a battle throughout, resisting the idea of something that is completely inevitable. And if that is how you're spending your time on this earth, the few, the few years we get, and then death, death comes and takes you anyway. What was the use of all the rumination? It can be just an awareness, just a contextual awareness. And then you can live perhaps more peacefully with it. And it does come with sadness for sure, because it, you, mainly it comes with sadness, I find, in the loss of others. I'm not as afraid of not being anymore myself. I do have fear around how that might play out and how that might happen in terms of illness or sudden terrible accident, any number of unpleasant ways to die. But in terms of the not being anymore, that isn't as scary because I won't be here to experience it. And in fact, it's much more painful for me in the loss of others, those that I love. And yet each one of those losses, it's not that they inure you 
to future feelings of sadness, but they deliver a message that you get more and more clearly about the preciousness of each of those individuals and about the preciousness of the moments of beauty that you are experiencing still. Our next question comes from Lam. As I'm hearing what's happening in the world, all the collapse and catastrophe, there's a small part of me that is happy that it's happening. It's weird. I don't want to appear as if I want people to suffer or experience these hardships, but it feels like the only way for our systems and political powers and institutions to start doing something, and also the chance that something new and better can emerge in the rubble. Paradoxically, I feel also that I'm going mad with thinking about what's happening right now and how lost we are as a people. But when I see my emails, go to work, watch TV, do my shopping, the everyday things here in Australia, then I really feel that I am not in touch with reality. On one hand, it looks like the collapse of systems could be forcing a change, but on the other hand, it looks like there is no essential change. Well, you are in Australia, and for the moment, things might appear normal. Of course, we've been through a very severe lockdown during the COVID phase when life was not what we had known as normal. So what we're seeing that we're seeing how quickly abnormal can become normal. And that is part of the way that humans have survived because they keep adjusting. Now, in many ways, one might uh, make the point that keeping on adjusting especially if it's the sort of frog boiling in the pot kind of adjusting, whereby you keep acclimating to worse and worse situations without making change, that's not so great. (laughs) Also, to the point that we're in Australia and things are relatively calm and it looks like things are just carrying on, we are seeing the news from elsewhere, especially our friends in Europe, for whom life is topsy-turvy right now. They are facing all kinds of threats and changes in regular life, as are people elsewhere in the world. It's, well, change is pretty constant everywhere. So even the idea of living in normal times is no longer normal. Our whole world is just speeding up so fast. Now, I like your idea about how maybe how this turmoil might force us into new and better ways of living. I like that idea. I'm not seeing any signs that it is going in that direction. Uh, I don't trust our leaders. They've proven to be quite corrupt and driven by profit and power pretty much worldwide. That's been hard to watch. I think our only hope is with the people, if enough of the people en masse in the world can start to see that we're headed over a cliff, maybe we'll pull back from the cliff. And maybe you're right, it might be a better way that we somehow find to live. We would have huge, huge 
challenges uh, to save ourselves. But let's just assume that's a possibility. Your other part of the question contains a statement that you see no essential change. And perhaps what we mean by no essential change is that you haven't seen any essential movement of the people in the direction that you're wishing for. Yes, and I haven't seen that either. Because in a way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a change in human nature. Because the forces of greed and hatred and delusion are driving this show that we're witnessing. The old uh, Buddhist hindrances, greed, hatred, and delusion, <laughs> they're alive and well here in 2022. And to think that there's going to be some systemic change in one part of the world or another part, it does not seem likely to save us. There has to be really deep structural changes to the way that we behave with each other as a human species. And in that regard, the true most essential change that is needed can actually be in oneself, can actually be a commitment to the better angels of our nature. And living in this world, based on what you understand as a commitment to goodness, and that may not change the tide. That's a big ask for any one person or any one group who have a different value system than the predominant culture to change the tide but you will have lived in the most beautiful way of what you wished for. You can live that in your own personal life, in your own interactions, in your own relationships, and in the way you even witness this whole thing. Because it's my position, I've said it many times, that there's no blame to be found here. This, was, this is encoded in the species. Maybe it was part of our survival to have these forces in us allowed our ancestors to keep going. Who knows, but you and I and many people can now see very clearly the harm that this trajectory has caused and the harm it is causing and the potential harm. And yet, who is to blame? What group? What generation? This, this has been going on a long, long time. We just have way better tools and technology now. We have way more powerful tools and capabilities for destruction now due to our technology. So let's come back to what we can affect. Let's come back to our own kindness and our ability to, to witness our moment here without being completely freaked out in just being kind and helpful in your own world, it may alleviate a lot of the anxiety and it may even calm the frustration that you feel and that so many people feel in seeing what is happening in our world. 
Let's just do our best to be a bright light in it, no matter how dark it might seem. The final question comes from Michael. Why is it that we can know something but not act on that knowledge? Why do we make the same mistakes over and over again, even though we, quote, knew better, end quote? Well, (laughs) I know just what you mean. (laughs) Yeah, we sometimes we're very slow learners. And even when we've had very rough lessons, we might repeat them. We know what the addictive mind can get up to, be a slave to, I should say. And I've often spoken about how there are different ways of knowing something that are kind of almost like a soaking of knowledge and of wisdom. So let's say that one can have a, an initial understanding that might be quite intellectual, like note to self, let's not do that again. But it isn't really in your cellular informational structure yet. And then there might be more of an emotional knowing. Like you're starting to do something and you're in it, but you can kind of feel that you're quivery inside. There's some kind of response on an emotional level that is saying, step aside, let's not go down this path. You can kind of feel it, but you might be so pulled to the action that you just can't resist. It might be anger, it might be lust, it might be food, it might be any, anything, any of our favorites. And there can then come a time if the wisdom has soaked through and the lessons have been learned to the point where they're second nature. You don't have to think about them or you don't even, if at the very first sign of the quiver inside, the whole system pulls back, almost without you being aware of it, in the sense that you are so clear. Now, that may not be across the board in all of the ways that we kind of keep (laughs) acting out when we knew better, but it might be in a lot of the ways, especially when one is paying attention and willing to notice the types of suffering that missteps, so-called missteps cause, the types of regret, the, the mess that surrounds a certain situation, and, and that more of the unconsciousness that had been injected into the situation made it an even bigger mess. You, can, you start to really be sensitive to all of that, the burdensome nature of it, and prefer peace, simple as that. You learn these lessons and know better when you've just simply had enough of the suffering. But it is amazing, our capacity for suffering, <laughs> to kind of, we just can keep going with the old, the old crazy habits. And of course, it's a very human thing, isn't it? <laughs> We're very much like children and learning at different um, speeds with different capacities. The primary question is how much do you want to suffer? How much suffering do you want to bear 
by continuing in an action or a way of thinking, a belief system, a prejudice. How much more suffering do you want to bear? And maybe you have to have yet another lesson. Luckily, life does provide them. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time.